Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 89. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, some people will say that Jesus' words or ideas are outdated or irrelevant. Perhaps he did say them in another time and place. But when we play them out, we can see that Jesus is truly our protector, looking out for us both spiritually and physically. Check it out. You know, I thought in the midst of everything going on, um, even down to the, to the last minute while I was getting ready for this morning, do I totally ditch what I had planned for the last couple of months and try and speak to something very, very immediate, or do I run with the plan and hope God can use it? And um, I actively made the decision, you know what, things are going to be very abnormal uh, very different over these next couple of weeks, um, not just in worship, but in well, just about everything. And so I figured best thing I could do was to give some little bit of normal for at least 20 minutes. So that's what we're going to run with. So last week, um, I was trying to make a particular heat for, um, for my race. I was going to try and, for the first time, run an obstacle course race with a coach and maybe get a little bit of help as I was plowing up a mountain and everything like that. And it was taking place in Cortland at Greek Peak, which for some reason, I'm not out there very often, but for some reason, I thought Greek Peak was out by Buffalo. Apparently, Greek Peak is the other way. And so I got very, very confused when the GPS is trying to take us to Lions and, and all that. And we're like, wait, how is that going to get us to Buffalo? And uh, things almost turned from, we're very time-pressed to, well, there's always next year. Fortunately, I, I decided to you know, look things back up again. Saw, oh yeah, we are supposed to be going towards Lions and, and things worked out. And I'm still walking at the end of it. Do you ever have one of those days one of those seasons maybe when you needed some guidance. Maybe needed something or someone to even save you from yourself. Um, you ever get to the point where you're in a, a situation and it's, proverbially speaking, I hope, it's like you just fell off a cliff and you're like, what in the world just happened? And trying to figure it out. I was having a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago and it, so, it was sort of like, okay, it was sort of one of those situations where it's just like, what happened? But eventually we kind of got to the point where it's like, all right, what do we learn from this? How do we, how do we figure out how to grow through this? Because we can't change what has happened, what this, the situation was. But the good news is, though it may be from an unlikely source, I got something for you that might give us at least some direction when we're looking for it. And it comes, as we've been studying John's gospel, it comes out of John 10, the first 10 verses. We're going to take this piece by piece. We're going to do the first six to start off. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
when he, has brought, when he had brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was, talking, what he was saying to them. Well, as, we, as I said, we continue this idea of looking at what Jesus said about himself in John's gospel through this Lent season, through his I am statements. And this week, Jesus sort of paints a picture that allows us, that gives us some of those answers when we need direction, when we need, God forbid, protection. And he hasn't said it yet, but he will say in the next verse, I am the gate. Now this can sound like a bit of a prison sentence image, like how does this help us out? How does this give us any direction? Uh, And the fact is there is some loss to the image because we aren't existing in a, a culture where shepherding is the norm, where sheep are, are the norm. As I had said to the kids, there is, um, if we were to do a comparison, by most means, your pet rock does have more intelligent, intelligence than the sheep that these shepherds are leading. Um, they are an animal that's not been known to defend themselves if they're attacked. Um, that's why they need protection from the outside. If one were to go off a cliff, they would, odds are the whole herd would, short of shepherd intervention, would go off the cliff with it. So each night, to keep these slightly less than intelligent animals safe, the shepherds would gather them all together, and again, sometimes multiple herds in one place, and they would put them in a pen to offer at least some protection from the beasts and, and thieves and all that. And some of them were, were temporary, like this one, or slightly more temporary. Some were a little bit more permanent, like a, a stone structure like this. But the common theme is that there was always an open gate. They didn't have a door that they would you know, put up and secure and lock. What the shepherd would do, what the gatekeeper would do, is he would sleep in that doorway. He would sort of stand in the gap, if you will, in a very literal sense, so that if something were to get into the pen, they had to go over the gatekeeper. Or they'd have to go over the walls, in which case you knew, without a doubt, that they had no business being in that area. So in that way, the gatekeeper, usually the shepherd, kind of one and the same, was the protector for the sheep. The first line of defense before anything would get to the sheep. And in the same way, Jesus is our protector. Now I get Jesus is not an antivirus. Having faith in Jesus does not give us immunity to physical germs. But there is a place where Jesus protects us physically in reminding us, cautioning us maybe even, about what to do and what not to do across our daily life. Now some will argue, certainly, that what Jesus said is 
You know, he spoke 2,000 years ago. He lived in a totally different culture, and I get that. And people will say he's outdated, he's irrelevant, he's just no fun. Okay, fine. But take this note that what Jesus said and the rules and regulations that churches put out can be two very different things. And sometimes I think we get them mixed up, even those who have been around faith and around church for a while. And as legit as the purposes and the the heart behind what some churches put out as far as how we do things and the, the rules that we set, sometimes I think they end up tightening down the screws too much taking what Jesus said and and expanding on it and adding to it as though we can somehow moralize people into a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. So rather than risk kind of walking that, what did Jesus say, what do the churches say, I'm going to go straight to a very clear example, straight out of Jesus' words, totally applicable in the first century just as much as the 21st century as it will be in the 31st century. Out of Matthew's gospel. Um, verse, uh, this is Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. Uh, back. Uh, oh no, I guess we did have that right. Sorry. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone Everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now I get that there are about a dozen examples um, out of what Jesus says to do or not do that will get 87% of the world to eye roll me and go, really? So if that's going to be the case, I might as well just go straight for the jugular. So let's play this idea out. And Whatever your relational scenario may be, hopefully you can see how this goes. If, I'll, I'll start this out as, as a teenager. If we spent 20 years of our life mentally undressing everybody of the opposite gender, how easy is it going to be when we get to a job And we have to work with somebody on our team from the opposite gender. How easy is that job going to be? When we have built up this habit of saying, you know what, Jesus, your ways are outdated. Forget it. I'm going to do this my way. Hard is going to be not even the start of how to describe what that situation is going to be like. If we have all that experience in that habit of turning down what Jesus says, How great is our marriage going to be eventually? You're going to be starting behind the eight ball at best. And if our marriage starts out on eggshells, you know what? How easy is it going to be to raise kids in an environment where the marriage is on the rocks? Good luck. (laughs) And this is just a baseline example of something you certainly won't see or hear in the latest blockbuster. The hottest YouTuber out there with a million followers is not going to tell you this. But left alone, we would be the ones who would, like the sheep in the metaphor, just one falls off a cliff 
and the rest go with it. So there is a real way that what Jesus warns us about actually plays out as a way of protecting us. You know, Jesus said, be warned about this in in this situation, how we look at people. Because that's going to protect you from the dangers and the pitfalls of what it's going to be like in later parts of life. Even if it's not fun at the moment. But why should we listen to, to Jesus on any of this? Whether we're talking about Matthew 5 or any of the things that Jesus says to do or not to do. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. That's where he actually announces that calling himself the gate. But notice he doesn't say, I am a gate. He says, I am the gate. The one who protects us physically. And as we'll see in the next couple verses, protects us spiritually as well. So he's having this whole conversation with people who are questioning him. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Who are you to tell us what to do? Who are you to suggest that you are above and beyond all the teachers that we've had in the past so far? So in a real way, he's defending his identity as God, which is certainly going to play out a whole lot as as Lent leads into Good Friday and Easter. Good thing is, this is not the only, you know, Jesus' identity as God does not just hinge on this one verse. This is just one of dozens of places where scriptures that paint a, a bigger picture that, okay, this Jesus is God. If you want some more about that, I will gladly walk you through some of it. But let's put this, since Jesus' identity is kind of being questioned, let's put this to an acid test. Who's How do we know Jesus is the one with our best interest at heart? Because the gatekeeper, the shepherd, he obviously must have had the sheep's best interest at heart to put himself at risk, to be the one who lays at that entry, stands in that gap between the sheep who can't defend themselves and the wolves that will certainly tear the sheep apart and have no problem tearing the gatekeeper apart as well. If Jesus is going to make that kind of claim about himself, does he have our best interest at heart? Well, would the best leaders in Jesus' day put their lives on the line for the people they were teaching? Probably not. Will the leaders today and and everywhere in the the past 2,000 years ago, the past 2,000 years, lay their lives on the line for the people they're teaching, called, leading? Perhaps not. Now I get, especially in our world today, and especially in this community in particular, there are a lot of people who have worn a uniform that says, yes, I would. And so I don't discount that there are very real people who do that. But here's my point. How do we know Jesus has our best interest at heart? How do we know he would lay his life on the line to protect us physically or spiritually? Because he did exactly that. He gave his life so, well, let's just continue. Verses 9 and 10. I am the gate. 
Whoever enters by me will be saved, and I will come in and go out, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That they may have life and have it abundantly. That they may have it to the full. There's a reason I am so often pulling that phrase out and finding places to hang on to the hope that comes in that. Because there are, we can come up with a million thieves out there. Those that their sole MO is to, to steal and kill and destroy. We see it in 1 Peter 5.8. Uh, where Peter just lays it out in the, in the foot and mouth way that he has. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. I mean, who else can say, I am the gate. I am the one who saves. I am the one who protects. I am the one who gives life. And in that, there's freedom. Even though it may seem like Jesus is is boxing us in, do this, don't do this, you know, all of that. He says, the latter part of verse 9, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. It's not so much that we are in Christ one day and out the next as though that's how faith worked. Um, Jesus says in other parts of the gospel, those that God has given into my hand will never be taken away but it's a picture of the safety and the security that we have in Jesus, in him. So how do we let this play out? What do we do with this? Well, I think really it starts out with an attitude check in how we hear Jesus' words, that we can hear them and be reminded that we can hear them or read them in light of this idea of Jesus has our best interest at heart. Jesus is the one who chooses to protect us. So here's my challenge to you this week. Start off with the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5 through 7. If you, you know, use a print Bible, you can go online. If you need to borrow one, borrow one of our Bibles, (laughs) no problem. But start out with those three chapters and read them slowly. Because this is a very rapid fire, uh, Jesus giving us these commands or these warnings, if you will, about how to be. And as you're going through it, ask yourself, as you come across Jesus saying, I'm telling you to do this or to be like this, ask yourself, how does this show Jesus protecting me? How does this show Jesus being a protector? being the one who's willing to stand in that gap, protecting us from the wolves and the thieves and those who come to steal and kill and destroy. Because when we finally see Jesus for who he is, as Savior, as Lord, and yes, as protector, and so many other images that he does give, we get on the road to starting to experience that abundant life that Jesus gave his life for so that we could experience The cool thing is, you know what? That's not the end of the image. But that's for next week. 
Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.